welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Well, we welcome you to M1 Online Worship. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us today, whether you are in the Traditions Service Online or the Encounter Service or our Resonate Service It is a joy to be able to worship with you wherever you are on this Sunday. Today we are concluding our current sermon series, and beginning next Sunday and during the month of August, I'm going to be taking a break from the preaching responsibilities, and members of our pastoral staff are going to be sharing with you a series from the book of Hebrews entitled, Enough is enough. I'm extremely excited about that. You're going to hear from uh, some dynamic young pastors who are sharing with you their heart and the Word of God during the month of August from the book of Hebrews. So be sure and join each week with M1 Online Worship and hear God's Word from them. I will be back the Sunday after Labor Day, excited to once again share the Word of God with you from my heart. Our series has been titled, When the World Gets Turned Upside Down, and that surely has happened to us. And so in these three weeks, we've looked at different dimensions of that. Week one was when tomorrow is uncertain, and I related that to the pandemic and other things in our life and in our world that are uncertain in these days, and how to turn to Christ in the times when tomorrow is uncertain. And then last week was when trouble surrounds us. And in these days of racial and social and political unrest like never before, and many personal issues that have brought trouble into many of our lives, how do we call on the Lord? How do we depend upon Him when trouble surrounds us? And if you missed either of those messages, I hope that you'll go to our Facebook page and uh, you'll be able to pull those up and listen to them. And today we conclude the series with a sermon entitled, When Money is an Issue. And when your world has been turned upside down as our world has been in these months, money is an issue. You look at the economy and all that has happened and is continuing to happen. You look at your own personal finances that are impacted in one way or another, and money is an issue. We look around us, and there are businesses that have been shut down completely and others that have been restricted, some of which won't ever be the same or may not even be able to survive. You look at industries, the oil industry and the airline industry and the retail industry and the restaurant industry. Someone told me they saw a report that in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, they are projecting that one out of five restaurants that was open before the pandemic hit will never reopen. They just won't survive. And, And then... We look at our government and the struggles there. I saw one report this week that said the state of Texas will have $4.6 billion less 
to be able to meet the needs of Texans than they would have had the pandemic not hit. And the spending of our federal government to respond to the pandemic is almost, at this point, $3 trillion and climbing. But then on a much more personal level, we all know people who have lost their jobs. Some of you who are listening and watching today, you may have lost your job. And if not, perhaps you are in an uncertain work environment and you don't know if you'll be able to keep your job and you need your income. And when all of these things are happening around us, money is an issue. So how should Christ followers respond and understand what their attitude should be? I think perhaps with the possible exception of the Great Depression, never has there been a time that our big idea for today has been more true. We need godly wisdom when money is an issue. Uh, We are all in different life situations when it comes to money. Uh, Different kinds of financial circumstances bring different kinds of problems. For many people in our world today, for many people who are listening, your financial issue is there's not enough money or you're not sure there's going to be enough money to meet the needs of your life and family. And when there's not enough, there are some hard questions that demand answers. When there's not enough money, you have to decide which bills you should pay and which you should leave unpaid that will have the least consequences. When you add up all of your bills and you look at your income and resources and your bills are greater than your income and some bills can be paid and others cannot be, that's a hard question. When there's not enough money, you ask yourself, you must decide, do you have enough food left in the pantry and in the refrigerator to feed your family until the next paycheck? And how can you stretch it? Cindy and I have been there in the early years of our marriage with small children when you would go to the pantry and you'd go look in the refrigerator and you'd wonder, can you put together enough meals until you can be paid and go to the grocery store again? That's a hard question. When there's not enough money, you must decide what could you sell or what could you give up that would ease the financial strain? That's a hard question. When there's not enough money, you must decide what could you do differently to make your financial future better? These are hard questions. When there's not enough money, money is an issue. And yet, on the other side of the equation, there are also hard questions. One might think, well, if you have plenty of money, if you have more than enough money, then there really aren't any hard questions. And I would tell you that's not true. It's just the questions are different. If you are today more blessed than you could have imagined, if you have more than enough money, 
then there are still hard questions. There are still things you must decide. When there's more than enough, you have to decide how much should you spend to reasonably care for the true needs of the family and what really, what really qualifies as a true need. When you have more than enough money, you must decide how much should you save, invest, or spend, and how much should you give to support God's work. If you are a Christ follower, you are committed to give your time, your talent, and your treasure to the Lord. And so you must decide how much of your money should you save, invest, or spend, and how much should you give so that the gospel that you love and have embraced by faith could be spread to others here and around the world. When there's more than enough money, you must decide how much should you give to others who have needs and to whom do you give it? How do you decide? It's a hard question. And if you have more than enough money, you must decide how much should you spend on yourself to buy things you want but you don't need. When you have more than enough money, these are hard questions. Yes, even when there's more than enough, money is an issue. When money is an issue, we have to make hard decisions, and we can't see the future, but God can, and he has much to say to us about our money. In Luke chapter 15, which may be a very familiar chapter in the New Testament to you, you may remember that Jesus told three parables not just to his disciples, but to the Pharisees who were following him, seeking to find a way to discredit him. And in Luke 15, he told three parables. Do you remember them? The first was the parable of the lost sheep. When the shepherd had a hundred sheep and one wandered away and he left the 99 and went and found the one, the parable of the lost sheep. And then there was the parable of the lost coins. The woman who had, had lost a coin and, and she searched everywhere in her home to find that lost coin. And then there was also the parable of the lost son. We call it the prodigal son. And you know the story well, how he went to the far country and wasted the father's money but came back in brokenness and repentance. So in Luke 15, Jesus teaches these three parables, and I can just envision after that prodigal son parable that the Pharisees were ready to turn and walk away, but then Jesus grabs them with one more parable in Luke 16, a parable about money. So I want you to go with me to the 16th chapter of Luke, and I want to share with you what was for me, for much of my Christian life, one of the most confusing parables that Jesus taught. Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 1, I'm reading as always from the New Living Translation. 
Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. Now Jesus had the Pharisees right at the beginning, and here's why. The Pharisees were rich men. Uh, They all were wealthy. They all had estates that were managed by servants and slaves. And so when Jesus began the story this way with the rich man and a manager who took care of the, the resources and assets of the rich man, the Pharisees could easily identify. So he had drawn them in. And the Pharisees, you must understand, were all about three things. Religion, power, and money. So Jesus continues the story, verse 2. So the employer called him, the manager, in and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. Well, in the story, this must have hit the manager like a Mack truck because he'd had a sweet gig. I mean, he was living the good life on somebody else's money, but he got greedy and began to to grab too much for himself. And so he got the word from the the wealthy man, the, the boss, that he was going to be booted out on the street. And so immediately in the mind of this manager, he thought, I'm in trouble. I need a plan. And so it continues, verse 3. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. He's assessing his situation, and he understands, I'm not physically strong enough to do manual labor, but, but I am smart. How can I handle this so that I'll come out smelling like a rose? And it begins to unfold in his mind in verse 4. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. And he begins to conceive in his mind, what do I have that I can leverage for my own benefit? What's still under my control? Well, first of all, he had time. The rich man had not yet booted him out. He still had access to the resources of the wealthy man. He had time. He thought to himself, I still have money. I still have access to the accounts of my master. I still have the corporate credit cards. I still have the accounts receivable. I've still got money at my fingertips that belongs to my master. So I've got time. I've got money. And third, he thought, I've got opportunity. I still have the connections 
with the people with whom my master has done business. I've managed all of these affairs. I know the right people. I still have opportunity before I no longer am in my master's employ to reach out to them and somehow leverage that business connection and relationship. And so he thinks, I've got time, I've got money, I've got opportunity. So he conceives of a plan to protect his financial well-being, and he begins to put it into action in verse 5. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And no doubt the debtor was appreciative and enthusiastic and said to the manager, oh, thank you, I I never saw this coming. What a wonderful thing to cut my debt in half. If there's ever any way I can help you, and the manager's thinking, oh, don't worry. I'll be knocking on your door sooner than you know. And then in verse 7, he speaks to the next. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. And I'm sure his response was similar to the first man's. Wow, thank you so much. This is going to help my bottom line. I can't believe you're being so gracious to me. And I'm sure the manager said, oh, don't mention it, don't mention it. All the while, he's already setting up his new business using his master's money. And about this time, the Pharisees are on the edge of their seats because they so identify with the rich man in the story who's being ripped off by this manager, and they had managers just like this guy. And so I just believe they're they're saying, Jesus, tell us, what did he do? Did he chop off his head? Did he put him into debtor's prison, just let us in on on the rest of the story. What did he do to get revenge on this man who had cheated him and stolen his money? And then Jesus shocked them. And this next part of the parable was the part that was always so confusing to me because Jesus goes in totally the opposite direction that you expect Jesus to go. Look at verse 8. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. And I can't tell you how many times I've read this parable and went, what? I I don't get it. Is this a lesson about how to be a successful embezzler? Jesus, what what are you getting at? 
and I'm a little slow, but it finally sunk into me that Jesus was not approving his dishonesty. He was affirming his ingenuity. He was not applauding this man's treachery, but he was appreciating the way that he managed things to his own advantage. And Jesus goes on to explain in verse 9. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. What is Jesus saying? Think about it. The wheat that the man owned, the olive oil that he owned and sold, his bank accounts, his, his financial assets, all those things. What's happened to all those things over 20 centuries since Jesus told those stories? Somewhere along the way, if that had been a real story about a real man, it was a parable, but if it had been a real man, all those financial resources would have gone poof. They'd be long gone. But Jesus is saying, if you leverage those things that will not last to the benefit of those things that will never fade away, then you have received true benefit, true profit. And Jesus goes on to teach us, verse 10. If you are faithful in little things you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, those things that will eventually pass away, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? All those things that won't last and don't really matter. Those are just tools. Tools to use to impact things that will last and things that do matter. People who have eternal souls and will spend somewhere an eternity either with the Lord or separated from him. Eternal things. Leverage things that won't last for things that won't ever pass away. And in these verses, Jesus concludes the story. And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? And then the most powerful and profound lesson comes in verse 13. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. What Jesus is saying is what you do with what you have 
will reveal whose you are. I know that today I'm speaking to two groups of people. Whether you are in your homes or you're watching this service on an online device, wherever you might be, you fall into one of two groups of people. The first group are Christ followers. They have committed their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ to be their Savior, their Lord, their Master. The second group are those of you that are not yet Christ followers. And maybe among those that are not Christ followers, your attitude, your belief is, hey, this life is all there is. So eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die, and it's over, Rover. If that's your attitude or your belief, can I plead with you to reconsider that? Because what that really says is, you believe that the Bible is fake and Jesus was a fraud. And you might say, oh, no, I don't believe that. Well, the Bible says that we are people who have eternal souls, that there's a part of us that will outlast our physical bodies, that will live after our earthly lives are over, that we will spend an eternity, time without end, either in a place the Bible calls heaven or a place the Bible calls hell. And whether you live a good life or not is not what determines which one it is. It is only about what you do with Jesus Christ. Whether or not you put your faith in him to be your Savior, Lord, and Master, or you don't. And how often you go to church or, or how moral you may be, all of those things may have value, and they do, but they will make no difference where you spend eternity. And so if you're not a Christ follower, may I lovingly, earnestly plead with you to reconsider the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gift of eternal life he offers by faith in him. But I know that most of you who are watching are a part of that first group. You are Christ followers. You have put your faith and trust in him. He is your Savior, your Lord, and your Master. And so I say to you in this message, do you know that Jesus had more to say about money than he did about heaven or hell? Surprising, but true. And so as I begin to wind this message down, there are some things that I, I think it is so important for you to know. So follow me as I share with you just a few things that I think are critical for you to know. The first one is this. Our God is in control of all things, even in the midst of a pandemic. He is. Our world has been turned upside down, but our God is still in control. Yes, he permits evil and suffering and sickness and disease and virus and on and on in a fallen world, and he will until his son returns to redeem this earth. But our God has certain boundaries and parameters that he will not allow to be violated. We do not know what they are, but he does, and we can trust him because our God 
is still in control even in the midst of a pandemic. Here's what else you need to know. All resources, financial and otherwise, belong to God, and his followers are not owners, but just his managers. Just his managers. Listen, he gave us, he gave you all that you have, and he can take it all away in a moment. Just ask Job in the Old Testament. Everything we have has come to us from God, and we are to hold it lightly. And we are charged to manage what he leaves in our hands, not according to our own opinion or desires, but according to his will and his authority. What you and I have has come to us from his hand. We are just his managers of that which belongs to him. Here's what else I think you know. God allows and sometimes even sends times of financial difficulty mm -hmm, to test us and to teach us greater dependence on him. Listen, as a Christ follower, nothing happens to you by accident. Nothing. And if you are in a time of testing related to finances, whether it's not enough or way too much, God has a purpose in what he allows. And if he has given you a season of not enough or a season of way too much, it is to test you and to teach you to make you more like his son. Well, just one more. In managing our finances, God values practical wisdom and undivided allegiance to him. That's what we learn from our parable today, the dishonest but shrewd manager. We must not be those who think, well, I belong to the Lord, so I don't really have to be all that careful because God's going to take care of me. Listen, that's a lazy, unspiritual, unbiblical cop-out. We are to be the very best managers because we belong to him, because we have access to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So those are things that I believe you need to know, so let me leave you with what I believe you need to do. Here are our next steps. Number one, whether you have much or little, sign over the title to its rightful owner. Whatever you have, if you're thinking that it's yours and you're holding on to it as if it were, sign over the title because it all belongs to him. Number two, seek wisdom from God and from wise, godly people on the toughest financial decisions you're facing. Some of you are having to answer some of those hard questions. Always pray to seek God's wisdom, and sometimes you need to seek the counsel of wise and godly people he's put into your life so that you'll make the right decisions. And then finally, Ask God to show you how to use what he has given you to bless others for him. Listen, my Christ follower friend, everything that comes to you is not for you. 
You are to share what God has given so that others might see the hand of God in their life through you because you were wise when money was an issue. Oh, listen. When your world gets turned upside down, we need godly wisdom when money is an issue. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for those today who are in a season in this incredibly difficult economy where they don't have enough. Lord, would you help them to learn how to depend upon you, how to trust in you when they can't see the answer. Help them to be wise, godly, and filled with faith. And then I pray for those, Lord, who have more than enough. I pray that they would not become infatuated or obsessed with material and financial blessing that has come to you from come to them from your hand, but may they do what is right and what is godly and what is pleasing to you. Give them your wisdom when money is an issue. I ask it in the Savior's name. Amen.